I tell people often, you know, healing feels like first and primary, but one of the most consistent outcomes that I've seen from healing is a burst of creativity. For me, creativity was the vehicle to getting to that place. Instead of numbing something painful, creativity was a way of engaging with that pain. This week on The Active Voice, we're bringing two writers together in conversation again. On this episode, we've got Seleka Jawad, who writes the Isolation Journals, and Diego Perez, a poet who goes by the name Young Pueblo. We brought these two together because they've got quite similar histories. At a young age, they've both faced real personal adversity, and they've overcome it, and even now thrive, thanks in large part to their writing. Today, they're using their substacks to help spark creativity in others. They're careful not to glorify their suffering, but they also believe it shouldn't be feared. They think it's possible, in fact, to alchemize that suffering into something beautiful, into a work of art. Seleka and Diego think of their writing communities as shelters for those who can benefit from creativity and might also just be saved by it. In this conversation, they share their wisdom, they share their rituals, and they share a piece of their hearts. Welcome to The Active Voice. Here's Suleika Jawad and Diego Perez. You know, I'm so excited for so many reasons uh, to dive into conversation with you. But in preparing for this, I noticed that we both have had very unconventional paths to our writing lives. When I graduated... From college in 2010, I felt, I think, like a lot of first-generation Americans, this pressure to do something practical. And so I ended up working as a paralegal and thinking that maybe I might go to law school. And it was a very short-lived attempt at a certain kind of American dream uh, for two reasons. One was that I was a completely a complete hot mess at that point in my life. I was totally lost. I'd had this mysterious itch for a number of months and it wasn't, you know, some metaphorical itch to travel the world or some other quarter life crisis. It was a real like claw at your skin, mm-hmm. keep you up at night itch. And the other reason that that pursuit of a certain kind of American dream was short-lived for me was because almost exactly a year after graduation, I found out that I had been diagnosed with a really aggressive form of leukemia and Mm -hmm. that the odds of long-term survival were not in my favor. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much overnight, my world imploded. I lost my job. I lost my apartment. I lost my independence and maybe worst of all, my sense of identity. And I found myself back in New York, uh, shuttling between my childhood bedroom and the hospital where I ended up spending, you know, much of that next year in isolation. And for me, you know, this chamber of isolation was obviously really challenging, especially Mm -hmm. at an age where you're watching your friends on Instagram and on Facebook traveling the world and going to parties and dating and all the other big and small milestones of young adulthood. Um, And meanwhile, I felt profoundly stuck. I couldn't do anything. I certainly couldn't have a typical job or do any of the normal young people things. Um, And in a weird way, you know, as angry and as terrified as I was, there was a kind of 
liberation that came with the implosion of all that expectation. Right. The person I'd been, you know, the short and long-term dreams I'd had, all of that was gone. And I felt this sense of being stripped completely bare and sort of peeled open to the world. And within that isolation, I, you know, first dealt with it by watching every episode of Grey's Anatomy ever made, which is a lot of episodes (laughs) of Grey's Anatomy. But the other way that I began to fill those hours was through journaling. Mm -hmm. And I love the journal so much because it's this rare space where you get to write for yourself. It doesn't matter if you're a good writer. It doesn't matter how you use punctuation. You get to show up as your most unedited, unvarnished self. Um, And to make a very long story short, That journal led me to writing a blog, um, which led me to my first writing job, uh, which was a column I wrote for the New York Times called Life Interrupted, Mm -hmm. um, where I became a journalist, not in the way that I'd expected, but where I got the chance to report from the front lines of my hospital bed. One, thank you so much for um, just like opening your heart and telling us that story. Like I can feel it. Mm. You know, that was... It's like you had to overcome so much to be here. And I'm really grateful for that. I think it's strange. We both graduated 2010. So <laughs> I also graduated 2010. Right after the recession. Right after. It's really hard to find a job. Um, and I was an absolute mess. I was um, just shattered on the inside and was totally oblivious to that. So the backstory of that is that I was born in Ecuador, in Guayaquil. Uh, my family decided to move to the United States when I was about four years old. And um, what we ended up moving for was opportunity. But what we arrived to was just extraordinary poverty. So growing up in Boston, my mom cleaned houses. My dad worked at a supermarket. And we were like stuck in the classic American poverty trap. Mm. And that created such a like heightened sense of scarcity, stress, tension, My parents are constantly fighting, trying to figure out how they're going to pay for rent. And going through that, I tried to play as if I was strong, Mm. but I didn't notice how much that was really impacting me. I mean, when I got to college, it started manifesting into just like these really nasty habits of constantly intoxicating myself, you know, constantly going out, trying so many different drugs and just um, doing anything I could to run away from myself. Mm. And when I left college, I still hadn't really realized what I was doing and it's, I hit this rock bottom point in the summer of 2011 where I almost lost my life. And I had just done so many drugs that my body just like could not keep going. And what I ended up realizing in that moment was that what got me there was lying to myself. Mm. And I thought, okay, I was like, if I've been lying to myself, maybe if I tell myself the truth, I can pull myself out of this. And that ended up um, taking me on this like one year journey where I just started like trying to do the opposite of everything I was doing beforehand, Mm. not just telling myself the truth, but trying to build positive habits, trying to reform my relationships, you know, with my, my now wife and my parents and my brother and sister, my friends. Um, Because at that point, every, all of my interactions and my relationships were just really superficial. Mm. And in the summer of 2012, um, I did my first silent 10 day Vipassana meditation course. And that just like kind of shook me awake. And it brought a level of healing that I didn't know was possible and I didn't, I didn't really believe was possible. And I, I did a few more courses and it, I think it was in the, after I did my third silent 10-day course, 
I felt this like kind of stream of creativity just open up. I was like, well, let me let me write about what I'm understanding, you know, knowing that I can still learn more. And that's kind of where this whole idea of Young Pueblo started coming together and I started sharing on Instagram and that's like snowballed into like what it is today. And it's been interesting because like I tell people often, you know, healing feels like first and primary, but one of the most consistent outcomes that I've seen from healing is a burst of creativity. Like mm. whether you're a writer or a musician or if you're like a, even like a dentist or like an architect or whatever. I feel I couldn't agree more. You know, we live in a culture that is so afraid of discomfort. We think yeah. of pain as a bad thing. We think of discomfort as something that needs to be fixed. And that was also my mentality. And, you know, there are so many ways to numb and dodge and plaster over pain. And we also live in a culture that upholds the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. You know, you're meant to return from the hardest moments of your life stronger and braver and more of a warrior for what you've been through. And I've always struggled with that kind of language because I think, you know, for me, I've arrived at a point where I don't want to have tough skin. Yeah, I want to have yeah. porous skin. I want to feel the things that are happening to me, the terrible things, the beautiful things. I want to be open to it all. And I think for me, creativity was the vehicle to getting to that place. Instead of numbing something painful, creativity was a way of engaging with that pain and in engaging with it and examining it perhaps even having the opportunity to alchemize it into something interesting or useful or maybe even beautiful. Yeah. And I, I often tell people like, you don't know who you're going to help. Mm. Like you don't know, like whether you're going to be, whether you want to write like one blog post or maintain a small sub stack or, or you want to write a book or create an audience, like whatever it is, like you do not know who you're going to help or the lives you may even save. Mm -hmm. So if you have something that needs to get out there, like do us a service of getting it out there. Mm -hmm. I, I One thing I'm really curious about that I would love to, <laughs> if you can give us more details on, when I was looking at your chat on Substack, like people are just so hyped up, like so like <laughs> they're just revealing their hearts in this giant chat room. And I guess, can you let us know, like what was the impetus for this 30-day journaling? And like, I think, why, why do you think it sparked so many hearts? So my newsletter was born in a very unconventional way um, in the beginning of the pandemic, in the very early days of lockdown. So much of it felt familiar to me, um, especially having gone through a bone marrow transplant, having had to wear a mask everywhere I went to be conscious of germs, to stay on a kind of house arrest. And I started thinking about what had helped me through that long season of isolation, which was, of course, journaling and how to bring that to a bigger audience. And so I began reaching out to different writers and artists and community leaders and just interesting people that I knew, asking them to contribute a short little essay and a journaling prompt. And to my surprise, within about 48 hours, we had over 40,000 people signed up for the isolation journals, at wow. which point I went, shit, Wow. what do I do with this? Yeah. How do I keep this going? I don't even really know what a newsletter is. I think 
you know, part of why this project has had resonance is because we don't try to create things from a mountaintop of experience or wisdom. We try to stay very low to the ground to examine what's not working in our lives, to try to find creative antidotes to that and to craft them collectively. You know, I try to walk the walk as much as I can. I write as vulnerably as I can because I'm inviting other people to do the same. And I really believe that when you lead with that kind of unvarnished vulnerability, it creates a reverberation where vulnerability begets more vulnerability, begets more vulnerability. And so for me, the newsletter is this ancient form, right, that goes back to the Romans, but it's also um, not a one-way letter to the world. Um, I'm interested in making it into a conversation where there's circularity, whether that's happening in the comment section or in the chat. You know, I remember opening my Substack and realizing, like, this is fantastic. Like, I have space to write. But it took a lot of sort of uh, me building up my courage to be like, okay, like, let me expand my format. Like, I've been Mm. so used to this sort of um, hyper-minimalistic format that I really love. I think um, there's a beauty to minimalism, but... I didn't want to get trapped in a particular structure. So when I started just like really letting loose on Substack and really sharing in much greater depth, I realized that I think through that, I realized that I was actually also a nonfiction writer. I Mm. don't just write poetry and prose. I can actually write nonfiction. And I think a lot of, um, I would say a good portion of the book that I just released later, I would say about 10 to 15% of it was actually on Substack before. And it was material that I was sort of like testing, you know, and I I like that aspect about the way writers can exist today is like you give an idea to your audience and they give you immediate feedback. They're like, oh, like, I love this. Or what about this? You know, Mm -hmm. have you thought about it this way? And it's like, oh, of course, you know, and you just keep evolving ideas even to a faster extent and much more collectively, which I think is quite beautiful. Um, And I would not have been able to... um, you know, feel as good about lighter if it weren't for that opportunity mm. that I had to just like play yeah. on Substack, which is really cool. The beautiful thing about being at Substack is we get to grow yeah. with the platform mm-hmm. and we get to test out these new things. Like, I don't think I'd ever used chat until this month. I don't even know if it existed. Yeah. So we're constantly reinventing and growing. And that's what makes it fun and exciting yeah. for people no, like us on the creator side. So, okay, in the spirit of community, Mm -hmm. we both open this conversation up to the community and source questions from our people. So I have a question from Maggie Tarbox. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. And she asks, I'm wondering about protecting creativity from burnout, critics, messaging that without a profit, there is no purpose. What small steps can we take to push back against hustle culture and create with no expectations? And the reason I thought of this question is that we both arrive at our creativity first and foremost as a means of survival and as a means of healing. And it sounds like, you know, the professional success was almost incidental to that. And I'm curious how, if you've managed to maintain the kind of healing core of creativity when it also becomes your day job. And when inevitably, you know, to go back to her question, um, it opens up this really sacred practice uh, to the powers of capitalism and everything that comes with it. Yeah. 
Hustling for money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a different podcast. <laughs> I love that question. I think um, there's a particular importance, right? Like instead of positioning yourself like, you know, we all have responsibilities. We all have people we need to take care of um, ourselves and the ones we love. But there's a beautiful thing where if you find your way to serve, like mm-hmm. to serve people, then I really believe in some manner, like the universe will take care of you, whether that's monetarily or whatnot. Um, so from giving, you will get. And I found that my initial sort of inspiration, um, which is still the same, is just to like, hopefully inspire people to find some way to heal themselves. Like, I don't care what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't have to meditate in the same tradition as I do. Mm -hmm. I found something that works for me and it works great, but it's not the same thing that's going to heal every single individual in the world. But there are so many tools out there. Like we Mm -hmm. really live in a special time. But what I have found personally in my journey is that to stay true to that conviction, to keep writing things that I want to write, not what other people want me to write, like, you know, publishers or or agents or, you know, because they have an idea that like, oh, this, if you do this, this will be really famous. And it's like, no, no, no. Like I want to do what my intuition, what clicks with my intuition and also what I feel is next for my audience. And and what I know is a medium that will connect with them. So one is like doubling down on that conviction. Yes. And the other side of it is that like relentlessly heal yourself. Like Mm -hmm. that has to be like probably the number one most important thing, because like whether you experience serious trauma or not, Like there are still, you have definitely experienced moments of strong emotion and those moments leave an imprint on the mind. So whether we are aware of it or not, those past imprints are affecting the way we think, the way we perceive, the way we act. And there is room for your mind to become lighter. Mm. Um, So when you do not allow other people to take that healing space away from you and you're like, this is the space, you know, I'm going to pay attention to how I want to do this unbinding work in my own way then it makes it easier to stay true to that like original mission. I know from looking back at the last 15 years of my career that oddly enough, my most successful projects were the ones that were never intended to be for the public at all. Cool. You know, from that journal yeah. that much later became a column from this newsletter that was supposed to be a 30-day thing and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then tapped into something that I decided to follow Last year, I found out my leukemia was back. And when I was in the hospital, I was on medication that made it really hard for me to read. So to write, I was using dictation. But I started painting uh, just for myself, purely for fun. And that has become the premise of the book I'm working on now, which is a book of paintings and essays. And so I try to, you know, create unstructured time and space for those things to emerge. If I'm constantly hustling, constantly working, there is no room for new creative ideas to be born. I go so far as to lock my phone in my mailbox until I'm done (laughs) with my creative work because I struggle with self-discipline. But I have to kind of feel alone in my mind in order to really hear my thoughts. And sometimes that requires extreme measures. I also have a post-it on my desk that says, if you want to write a good book, write what you don't want others to know about you. Mm. If you want to write a great book, write what you don't want to know about yourself. And the only way for me to arrive at that latter part is to have the quiet to hear those things. Yeah. And it's interesting because the people we work with, like they, they do love us, but they like, 
they have their own missions of what they think is really important. And if if you let them, they'll they'll just fill up all of your time, mm-hmm. all of it. And um, so creating those boundaries with like, you know, even our teams and our agents and publishers and all this stuff, it feels really important. And I've seen it not work out for people where because they don't create times of isolation for themselves to really rejuvenate and listen to themselves, they burn out, they mm-hmm. stop writing. And, um, and I've seen a number of even, you know, great writers in my time just kind of blip out because mm-hmm. they just don't have their process down. They don't have their boundaries down or their sort of their mission gets like too convoluted and too wrapped up in the machine that they, you know, go off in another direction. And it's, it's tough to see that. I wanted to ask you, so from just like reading your material, like you got married, you had a bone <laughs> marrow transplant, you lost your beloved dog. And you turn to watercolor painting, like all in a matter of weeks. So that's a lot. Like <laughs> that's a lot of ups and downs. But I'm I'm really curious. Like, what have you learned? Like, what are some lesson, lessons that you can impart on us from all of those rapid changes? Yeah, I want to be very careful to make clear, you know, that I don't think a life threatening event. Uh, necessarily leads to insight or necessarily leads to revelation. That shit is hard. Yeah, It brings you down to your knees. But I do think that in response to an inciting event, we have an opportunity in terms of how we choose to respond to it. And so for me, that sense of agency has been, you know, for a lot of this year, the only agency I've had. I've had to cede so much of my life to treatment protocols, to side effects. I've had to slow everything down. I had so many plans before my relapse, so many goals, so many dreams that are now deferred. And instead of living in that heartbreak and in that disappointment and allowing myself to become embittered, I decided and made a very conscious choice. And it's not just something I did once. It's something I have to choose every single day to see this clearing that's happened in my life and to pay attention to what new things are emerging within that clearing. For much of this year, I had maybe two or three hours of usable energy every day. And when that happens, you have to get really judicious about what you want to do in those two to three hours and who you want to spend it with. There wasn't time for any sort of superficial fluff. And for me, that looked like writing my newsletter because that sense of community is so crucial to me that that creative community is really the lifeblood of how I live and what I do. And it also meant allowing myself to re-enter beginner's mind in the form of painting. I didn't want to feel pressure to be good, to make something into something, you know, usable or profitable or whatever. I just wanted to be able to play. And I've tried to, you know, given that this whole year has been unexpected, to embrace the unexpected and to allow that to flower in every area of my life, in my career, in my relationships to my friends, in the ways that I choose to fill my time. So, yeah, I think living in that ocean of not knowing, living 
And uncertainty is one of the hardest things for all of us to do. And I've tried to the best of my ability to surf those waves with a sense of wonder and to pay attention to what's shifting around me. Mm. Thank you so much for giving us, like, uh, I feel like just being with you and spending time is just like filling me up. Oh, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. It's so nice. And it's, it's so um, just inspiring to like see where all this like inspiration and creativity comes from and to see that like you openly sharing your journey with us. Like I can't even imagine how many people you're helping because that's something that we often don't get clearly from the the internet and social media. It's like the tough aspects of life that are happening all the time. And also like often what we do get is like the more like dramatized extreme forms of things that are mm-hmm. happening, whether that's good or bad, but not like the nitty gritty every day. Like I'm dealing with this sickness. I'm dealing with standing up. Like I'm dealing with like this moment where how can I keep putting one foot in front of the other? And um, it's just, it's just interesting, you know, like what we can evolve into, but I think living in community, how whatever that means. Yeah. For me, it's living in a f- kind of virtual creative community right now because, you know, this is one of the first in-person things I've been able to do in a long time is a big part of that. It's both on the one hand, holding close the you that only you can be and yeah. the sacred gifts that only you can bring to the world because nobody else has grown up with your life and your ancestral lineage and your experiences while also holding equally close the fact that we are not remarkable. You know, our stories are the same stories and, you know, confronting my mortality in the last year is something maybe that I've had to do in a more acute way, uh, especially at the age of 34, but it's something we all are going to have to do. You know, death always feels like a plot twist, and yet it is the one thing that is an absolute certainty. Right. And, you know, as disconcerting as that is, it turns out it's not such a bad way to live either, to hold that knowledge close to your heart. There's um, something you said that really struck me about the you know, hitting the extreme points of life, like, you know, hitting that rock bottom and almost losing your life and not using that, like that's not a necessity. Mm. Um, And I try to, I've been hitting at the same message from a different angle where I try to let people know, you know, some of the most like evolved, powerful, like wise people that I've met have not had a dramatic beginning. And I think that's something that is important to realize because we don't want to make our journey match up with somebody that we sort of admire. We think it has to be this way. And, um, you know, I definitely went through my rock bottom moment, but like my wife, who's like a lot wiser than I am, like (laughs) she had a smooth entrance into spirituality Mm. and meditation and, you know, she didn't need a rock bottom moment. She just like needed that inner calling to bring her somewhere. And I think it's um, important to allow our journeys to be diverse and to be their own. So I got one community question that I thought was really um, valuable, and I'm I'm curious to um, hear how you overcome this. But you know, you have been writing for years, and you write consistently. So how do you make sure that your writing is not mechanical and that it's still coming from the heart? It's an 
Interesting question because I've actually never felt that way. Every time I write anything, I feel like I have no idea how to write, <laughs> whether it's an email or a text message yeah. or a book. I'm like, what is a sentence? Yeah. What are words? You know, part of that. So English is my second language. I mm, uh, learned English when I was six. And so I think I'm eternally in beginner's mind mm-hmm. with English. I'm very conscious and and maybe self-conscious about my writing, even though I've really honed it and made it my craft. And, you know, I didn't study creative writing. I Everything I knew about writing was from reading. Yeah, yeah. And the first time I took a real creative writing class was after I got my book deal. And the very first thing I did with the money that I got from my book deal was enroll in an MFA in literature, wow. which is maybe the wrong order to yeah. do things in, but I've never <laughs> done things in the right order. But I also think, you know, that part of that is my process. I try to pick the form that fits the thing that I need to write without worrying about if I've done it before or if it makes sense. I have to kind of trick my brain into a more improvisational space. And this may sound highly inefficient because it is, but I wrote most of my drafts by hand. I frequently write first drafts in my journal because the journal is for me, it's the space where I get to do whatever. Sometimes it's, you know, a five-page meditation on whatever. Oftentimes it's a grocery list or a list of petty complaints that I'm having. And so I try to create in a space where I feel like the stakes are really low. If I try to open a Word document on my computer and start writing like a real writer, all of my crap comes into the picture. Um, And I also think, you know, the computer is where we do a lot of things, where we write emails, where we do our taxes. Uh, For me, it's not a particularly creatively inspiring place. Somewhat similarly to what you were describing, like when I sit down and I'm going to write, like if I'm going to write like my next sort of newsletter for Substack or if I'm going to tweet something or if I'm going to put something on Instagram, I often sit down and I make sure that I have no plan. And I try to keep that mentality all the time where it's like, I don't know, you know, like, let's see what comes out this time. And, and I do, I do think like for other people who, who are writers who are listening, I do think it's really valuable to let yourself take time periods where you do write about the same topic again and again. Mm-hmm. Cause I have found, I remember there was a time period where 2017, 2018, I wrote a lot about letting go. Mm. And then I kind of, relaxed on the topic for a while, picked it back up in like 2020, started writing about letting go again. And I realized there was a big evolution there. So let yourself say the same thing from different lenses, from different perspectives. And magic happens sometimes. You know, I'll write those first drafts by hand. And then when I go to the computer, I try not to look Mm -hmm. at my first draft by hand and to just type what I remember. Yeah. Um, And the most important stuff rises to the top. Okay. So I have a question from Catherine who says, I feel like my creativity has suffered over the past few years with Instagram and social media as a whole because I'm more concerned with other people's output than my own. Mm. Instead of just sitting and letting my thoughts come, I consume other lives. At the same time, I've gotten so much creative input there, so many other creatives that inspire me. So my question for you, How do you deal with consuming social media and what does that do to your creativity? Yes, the subconscious is quite sneaky. 
So you have to be really careful with what you consume. There's this thing that I've learned from being on Instagram for a while is like there is a recipe for a hit. Like there's a recipe for making things go viral. And a lot of that is just like mimicking what's trendy, Mm -hmm. right? So if you like write a post about, like if you were to write a post about boundaries in 2021, yeah, it's going to go viral. It's challenging to not just do what you know will get you like 100,000 likes. Yeah. But that's just, to me, it's like you can do that, but that just isn't what gets people, like what touches people's heart. You know, there's like a very big difference. Like, yes, it can get you a lot of likes, but it won't necessarily get people interested enough to like read your book. Mm. And a lot of knowing what makes a hit on like Instagram or Twitter is just understanding what's the popular topic in the moment and um, sort of bringing it down to a bite-sized, like, you know, one line catchy thing. And what I find happening, particularly on Instagram, is like there's a lot of like mimicking. You know, where it's just like people, you know, they're just saying the same thing, but that's not what makes like a writer or an author. And it's, it's fine to like have those views too, to share something like that occasionally. But that's something where I feel like a lot of the second wave and third wave generation of uh, writers that emerge from Instagram is like they stand out because they have like their own voice. Like, yeah, they're still writing about these particular topics. Like we all want to know how to grow, how to heal but their voice is like distinct. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, it, it either was crafted or they have a knack for it. And their authors like Brianna Pastor or Brianna Weist or um, my friend Rainbow Salt, like a lot of them who are just like, whoa, like you can just feel their voice. It's so clear, so inspiring. And they're not doing any mimicking at all. They're just telling you things from their perspective. The reason that people stay, the reason people buy your books, the reason that people want to support you is because you're 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 relentlessly putting out your own version of things, your own side of things. And my relationship with social media now is one where, um, particularly with Instagram, is like I'll post, I'll share something, and then I um, like I try not to keep it open. I try to use it as little as possible. And what I do get a lot of inspiration from is like reading other people's notes on Substack. Like Mm. I spend a lot of time reading things that I don't write about. So Mm. I read a lot of science fiction. I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of history, a lot of politics. I try to keep a global outlook and I let these other areas influence me as opposed to the area that I'm writing in, if that makes sense. Yeah. I have a community question. I think when people <laughs> when people saw that I was able to ask you questions, they like took their shot. And um, like one Should person, I be nervous? no, no, this, okay. is, this is a good one. Um, one person just wants to know, um, like, is there anything you can tell us about upcoming projects you're working on? Hmm. Like any, like any insight on like what's coming next? Thank you for asking that. So like I mentioned earlier, I cleared the whole deck this year. I was working on a different book idea. I had all kinds of plans and projects. I cleared everything just to see what would emerge. And so what's emerged are these paintings. Mm. Um, I mentioned this book I'm working on right now. My working title is Drowning Practice because drowning practice is what I feel like I've been doing every day this year. I'm also working on an isolation journals inspired book called The Book of Prompts. And I'm very curious about the Substack to book pipeline and what that 
shift is looking like, and I'm about to attempt it. It'll be my summer project. I don't know how much recycling we will do, although we will probably try to source uh, some of those community prompts and essays. Sure. But I'm really excited to figure out what that looks like. And I know I can't be the only one. I think I saw the other day someone post a note saying that they'd just gotten their first Substack book deal through, you know, a a mainstream publisher. And so I'm really excited. You know, we were just talking about social media, about the possibilities that Substack is affording writers and people in other creative fields, not just to find a revenue stream that's independent from social media platforms, that's independent from sponsorships. But I'm also excited about the kind of creative work that's emerging that wouldn't have necessarily fit into a bite-sized tweet or to an Instagram square. And I can't wait to see what this burgeoning group of writers are going to do. Substack is a revolution. Right. Like it it is something that I've been wanting to happen for a long time because platforms and really all those sort of major platforms besides Substack, you know, they attract you into creating content, but you don't really get anything back. Or or for most, you don't get anything back or you get a little bit back. And to create a platform where you get like what, like 90% back of whatever you make there, it is like unfounded. It is uh, incredible. What I ended up getting out of it was this like community. Like now there's like this like tight network of us who are just like, I feel like these are the people who are really here for the ride and like really trying to grow. And we're going to support each other in that growth between the like the newsletter for paid subscribers and the um, the comments. But now that we have this chat room, where we can all just like, you know, talk about these really serious points of growth together. It's like a dream come true to be able to be that connected in a way that doesn't feel burdensome. Mm. You know, it's not the same as like going through each direct message and there being so many like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of messages that you just can't read them all day because they exhaust your energy. But something about the way that the subsect was designed, it just feels like a lighter lift, but you get so much more. And I think it's it's wondrous. And I'm pretty excited to see the evolution of like, you know, more podcasters coming on, mm. not, you know, not just being writers, but people who make videos and mm. just seeing creators kind of gravitate in this direction because it's one of, um, literally it's becoming a place where it's like, it's a real home for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just to take it a step further, I'm also so excited to be in community with other fellow Substackers yeah. like you and to get Same. to learn from each other and to get to observe what everyone is doing. And it's just so deeply inspiring and exciting for me. So I will end with the question you just posed me, which is what's next for you? Mm. I am going to release another book in October, October 10th. It's a book called The Way Forward. And um, I haven't really started the pre-order campaign yet, but it's already on Amazon if you want to get a copy. And um, I'm really excited about this one because this one culminates the trilogy that started with Inward. So Mm. Inward and Clarity and Connection were short poetry and prose books. And The Way Forward is another short poetry and prose books. It's it's about 230 pages. And um, 
the first book, Inward, was just about you and yourself and that personal growth aspect. And then Clarity and Connection was about you and yourself and other people, where obviously when you heal yourself, like your connections with other people get deeper. And the way forward is about continuing that journey, you know, of growing, but also like how do you stick with your values in an ever-changing world, like a world that's just like constantly just tumultuous and changing so rapidly. So how do you stay true to yourself amidst all that change? So I'm pretty excited to deliver that one. Sign me up. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Thank Thank you. you so much. This is a joy. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. This is like... uh, my spirit feels full. Mm, I feel the same way. You can find Suleika Jawad's isolation journals at theisolationjournals.substack.com. And you can find Diego Perez's Elevate with Young Pueblo at youngpueblo.substack.com. Make sure you get the spelling right. It's Y U N G P U E B L O. .substack.com. That's youngpueblo.substack.com. See you next time. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast, The Active Voice, on Substack. You can find it at Substack Reads, which is read.substack.com. R-E-A-D.substack.com. <laughs>